Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. It is time to open up the presents. The NFL draft for 2022 is complete. Eight presents for the Indianapolis Colts. We're going to unpack them all today on this edition of Kevin's Corner. It is late Monday morning. Myself, Kevin Bowen, Eddie Garrison back. You guys heard Eddie on last week with us. He did some production work for the radio shows with Matt Taylor and Rick Venturi on both Thursday and Friday, right? Yep. Uh, Thursday and Friday night, so I thought with Chris Presley still in recovery mode from <laughs> uh, from uh, bachelor party, as anybody would be on a Monday morning. Coming back, um, thought it'd be great to have Eddie on again to share some draft insight. We'll go pick by pick, um, all eight selections. Get to well, what do you have? Probably ten Twitter questions, something around there. Yeah, got a few. Yeah, that we'll uh, certainly hit on. But let's just begin with kind of overall thoughts on the Colts draft. Um, you know, I felt like if you didn't make the selection at 42, it was it was trade back. Um, you know, Chris Boward, we talked about entering the draft, the least and the worst amount of draft capital in the history of his tenure. And when you really looked at this year and the needs for me, Eddie, let's put quarterback to the side. Because if you're not going to do quarterback, you know, I totally get it. And obviously, look at the NFL. They, mm-hmm. they send a clear message with their quarterback opinion this year. Then you address the needs, the impactful needs, and I think the Colts did that. Uh, we did a scenarios last week on the podcast, and I'm pretty sure in the trade back scenario we did scenario D, it actually ended up being the same pick, uh, Minnesota's pick. I think it was Green Bay and Minnesota made a trade earlier in the draft. Uh, it was pick number 53, and the thinking there is you would get that additional third rounder, and therefore you could cross off in some order. Wide receiver, left tackle, tight end. And that is indeed what the Colts did. So um, certainly heavy on athletes, heavy on you know high-end athletic traits, which is par for the course for Chris Bauer. I, I even think he took it to another level this year. And what I like probably more than betting on the traits is you've taken a swing at the final needs. Like I don't look at this roster right now and say glaring, glaring hole. You know, mm-hmm. there's still questions. We'll get into some of those. But I think you now have supported Matt Ryan a little bit better. Of course, instant impact. We'll see if that happens. Um, but I thought it was job well done and moving back, getting the additional pick, and trying to take a dart at the board at all those needs. Totally agree. When I was working with Matt Taylor and Rick Venturi on uh, Friday night when the Colts actually got to pick in that second uh, slash third round, um, v- Rick Venturi was doing like somersaults he was doing i don't know everything that you can think of in in terms of pure excitement because he wasn't uh, happy about the trade back though right uh initially he was not right and then once it started kind of unfolding he was like oh my goodness chris ballard's a genius <laughs> it's like th- th- this is playing out to the way that i thought uh it would uh, or, or he thought he would but he's like, I just don't like trading back because you're giving away talent. You're missing out on some guys who may have a little bit higher talent. But then, in my mind, I went back to his comment that he made 
pre-draft, he's like, I don't see much of a difference between pick 20 and pick 40. Right. So it's like, how much further back of pick 40 can you go to still get that talent that Chris Ballard covets? And I think Alec Pierce was a, a tremendous first pick for him in that second round. Um, and then once the second round ended and you're going to the third round, Rick Venturi's like, why is Bernard Raymond falling? Why? He's like, I would go tight in here and then see if Raymond's there later. And then he was just jumping for joy after each of those first three picks. And I, I can't say I can echo the same sentiment that Rick Venturi had because we talked about it last week on the pod. And wide receiver, left tackle were the, probably the big two needs. You address both and you get a couple up and coming and promising tight ends to boot. You know, it's something that I was actually texting. I was looking for that text with Rick Venturi yesterday. He was saying that he read my 11 takeaways article. Which, by the way, is up on 1075thefan.com. And we were kind of going back and forth on that. Um, and yeah, he is, you know, Ryman, which I think that's how it's pronounced Bernard Ryman. Um, he said he was the only non first rounder with le- left tackle skill set. I know he's a big fan on that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I guess we can just get into the, the picks if you want to individually. Um, let's start with, with Pierce. You know, Eddie, you know I'm a fan of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Cincinnati play Indiana this past season, kind of just a casual observer. And I'm watching Alec Pierce flash a little bit in that game. I'm thinking to myself, man, he's going to be one that Notre Dame's going to have their hands full next week. And sure enough, he pretty much ended any sort of playoff hopes for my <laughs> Irish yeah. on that Saturday afternoon in South Bend. It got to the point in that game where – Desmond Ritter would drop back to pass, and I would literally, I think I said it out loud, play after play, like anybody but 12. Throw the ball anywhere but 12. Um, Because Alec Pierce made play after play in that game. Um, You see the volleyball background when he plays. Mm -hmm. I, I always thought he did such a great job. And again, I ended up watching Cincinnati a good amount this year. Does such a great job of finding the ball, high pointing the ball, and just his timing and his hand-eye coordination on those 50-50 opportunities is such a gift. You can tell he's just a very gifted athlete. And look at his family. Parents are Division One athletes. Mm-hmm. His brother played at North Carolina recently, basketball. Uh, his other brother's going to Princeton next year, and people just rave about how good of a basketball player he was. Glenbard West is the school up in uh, the Chicago suburbs there. So this is an incredibly instinctual deep ball guy. Sure, it helps when you're 6'3 and 211 and you jump like he jumps and you run like he jump or run like he does as well. That combination of speed, jumping ability and size it is hard to find. I mean, how many times do you see the size but you don't see the speed or you see the speed and you don't mm-hmm. see the size? So, I think that's what made him so attractive for the Colts. Um I I love the defensive background in him. I think that helps him. I do too. You know, in those opportunities to come down with balls like that, you know, some safety linebacker background as well. And I think, Kevin, sorry to interrupt here, but no. it, it brings a little bit of a toughness um, to that wide receiver room a little bit too, and to himself, because you got to be tough in order to play linebacker because you're, you're down in the trenches and you're hitting people and you're getting hit all the time. So uh, for him to be on the outside, you know, he's going to be able to fight through some contact uh, at, when he gets the ball into his hands and run after the catch. Without a doubt, and some Zach Pascal blocking ability. You know, I, I think they feel like he can bring some of that as well. Um, you know, I, I 
distinctly remember the first drive of that Alabama game. You know, Cincinnati got down the field and Pierce won on on, on a one on one rep in the red zone, and Ritter just missed him high. I mean, obviously, you think Alabama still wins that game, but just you know <laughs> right. how how game flow happens and everything. You guys know I'm a huge believer in that. Uh, you know, Pierce create an opportunity for Cincinnati to make a big time early play in that game and unfortunately his quarterback couldn't couldn't deliver that um it, it's funny I, you know when i watched him in college and then i've looked up some of kind of his athletic you know comparing him athletically size frame speed wise to guys of the past it's not a shocking comparison i know a lot of colts fans are going to hate it he reminds me of dante moncrief Really? It, just how they're built, yeah. how they play a little bit. Um, obviously, you hope for far better success than, <laughs> than Moncrief had. Um, but that's who he does remind me of. Uh, he mentioned that his favorite wideouts, I think his favorite wideout he said was Jordy Nelson. The one that he thinks he compares to is A.J. Green. I probably see more Green than Nelson. Nelson, to me, is a little bit more of a... Just like consistent, fluid, Cooper Cupish like of just a tremendous possession receiver. Whereas I think Alec Pierce needs to work on that aspect to his game, the possession stuff, the route running, kind of the intermediate stuff, but obviously is a much more of a big play guy down the field, which is I think AJ Green brings some of that. So if you look up some of the other athletic comps, you, you you'll see Andre Johnson, you'll see Justin Jefferson, you'll see Devontae Parker as well. Um but his seems to be his greatest kind of room for growth, again, is the intermediate stuff. I know Pro Football Focus had a stat out there of like, I want to say two-thirds of his yards in college came on vertical routes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you aren't just going to be able to out Randy Moss everybody in the NFL. So that is where he's going to have to develop. Where I think the Colts are intrigued by it is, Eddie, think about his position coach. Arguably, Reggie Wayne's greatest strength was that as a route runner, precision, mm-hmm. kind of being a technician at it. And I think that's where Pierce can grow. And it makes sense. You know, Pierce has not played a ton of wide out. Um, and all three of these first picks that we're going to talk about, they all have these different sport, different position backgrounds in their games as well. So I think there are questions about can he routinely separate Um uh, his like short shuttle stuff and three cone stuff wasn't like eye popping as eye popping as maybe some of the other uh, testing numbers were, um, and just becoming kind of a full route tree guy because again you aren't going to be able to do that at the NFL level as easily as you were able to do it at the college level. Um, but he was a guy that again I was probably a little bit more in the Sky Moore camp. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that during Twitter questions, but Pierce was right there as well. Um, I mean, certainly he stuck a dagger in my fandom's heart this year, but you had a ton of respect for how he played the game. And I started to look up a little bit more on his background back in the fall, just kind of curiosity about, okay, has he always been a Ritter, you know, target? Because Ritter had been a starter there for so many years and everything. And, um, you know, I've got some friends from Glenbard West, and you kind of talk to them, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is the Pierce family that justin pierce is his brother who mm-hmm. transferred to north carolina after playing at william and mary and i'm like yeah i definitely remember that dude i was hoping notre dame basketball would get his <laughs> brother there uh but medical engineering degree so his brother going to princeton i would say academics are not too far behind there uh in their family i believe the mom went to northwestern i think mom and dad maybe yeah they both, both did went to uh went to north 
Northwestern. And, and you love the Luke Fickle quote of he's got such a competitive streak that I tried to move him to linebacker when he was a freshman. <laughs> you know, that's what you like. Think about yeah. think about wideout. It, it, it's diva. It's it's pretty boy um, for a lot of people. And I feel like in Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce, they don't have that. You know, Pierce will give you. He'll knock on the door and he'll be like, and he'll be like, oh wow, that looks like you know the good old boy from from down the street. But I do think he plays the game um, with some with some physicality as well. So um, you're gonna have to polish. You're gonna have to fine tune some things. My expectations for him as a rookie, he's gonna get a lot of opportunities. But again, tempering those is probably fair. I know I mentioned the stat on last week, but I think it's worth mentioning. Um, Again, the, Alec Pierce is now the sixth wideout the Colts have had taken in round one or two uh, since 2000. Um, those other five wideouts averaged 28 catches for 355 yards. So I know a lot of people just want to pencil them in for you know 80 for 800 or you know, right. s- something like that. It's like you know, let's just pump the brakes a little bit there. There is some rawness to his game, which is I think you could say that about a lot of these draft prospects but this is how Ballard operates Ballard is a huge believer in high-end character high-end traits here you go coaching staff here's the clay that's basically what he says with a lot of this you're not going to find all American accolades on many of these draft picks Mm -mm. you're not going to find I mean Pierce wasn't a thousand yard guy um you know you aren't going to find a lot of these top flight three-year starters at their position in college um but what the Colts are banking on is that those traits and the development creates a higher floor and then the higher character brings them to that ceiling that they also also possess there. Um, so any, any thoughts from you on um, on Pierce? I think the difference uh, in some of those comparisons to the numbers that you just uh, gave out is that Pierce has an opportunity right away to step into a role, and I don't know how many of those previous guys that were selected within the first two rounds for the Colts. Yeah. Have had that chance. A good point to step in and be a starter on the opposite side of Michael Pittman, and he'll get a lot of one-on-one certainly with you know Jonathan Taylor, um, bringing down so many people into the box, and you'll see a lot more one-on-one for him. Maybe they shift coverage a little more over to Michael Pittman Jr. that and force Pierce, a rookie wide receiver, to beat them. So there's going to be some opportunities for success for Pierce, and I know one thing that Rick Venturi mentioned during or right after the Colts picked Pierce, was that he doesn't – you don't see much tape on him, like you said, in the medium to the short area. And that's just because that was the way the offense was designed for Cincinnati is that they didn't need him to do that. So they allowed – they just said, hey, we're going to use you in the vertical passing game a little bit more than you will be underneath in the medium. And from what I – from when I gather from Rick's comments is that when the Colts went over there to look at yeah the private workout yeah. Desmond Ritter quote unquote mm-hmm. th- they sent him Pierce through some medium short route running and they really liked what they saw so I don't think uh, I think there's something there and plus it seemed to me I don't know about UKB Pierce in the last couple of days leading up to the draft his name had started picking up a little bit more and more and that he started to rise up the draft boards a little bit yeah it felt like there was some momentum there for him and when you saw the six wideouts go you know they're what by pick 18 you're kind of thinking to yourself wow you know okay when is more when is pickens when is watson mm-hmm. you know when is pierce going to go um and to your point about that private workout you know reggie wayne 
again, his background would cater to a development here in this area. I think ultimately it was Pierce's frame that probably separated him from a guy like yeah. Sky Moore. And again, we'll, we'll touch more on that in Twitter questions. Not only did they draft Alec Pierce, they signed Michael Young, former Notre Dame wideout, transferred to Cincinnati. Uh, he was there in the um, in the draft uh, or in, in that private workout at Cincinnati um, a couple weeks back. Um, okay, you want to move on to uh, Jelani Woods? Yes, sir. All right, dual threat quarterback coming out. Um, again, that's kind of the intrigue with him. It's, you know, I think anytime you get an ex quarterback, you know, you're always thinking to yourself, man, that guy's probably got a pretty unique mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that would be the first thing. You know, you think about footwork for a quarterback, and you think about footwork for a tight end. Uh, that's something that I think w- is is attractive to the Colts. But you watch that with the next pick series, the Colts do. I do. Okay, so I forget one of their scouts early in that, I guess it would have been episode one or two, had a clip in there of saying something to the effect of, you don't see a player that big look that good or play Mm -hmm. that good, you know, something Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, That was Jelani Woods in that clip. Uh, 6'7", 260, you know, runs 4'6". If you look at those testing metrics, you know, sites or whatever, what he's the most athletic tight end ever to be drafted or something <laughs> along those lines. Um, he mentioned that last year he played through a bit of an ankle injury, and the Colts talked about when he dropped a little bit of weight after the season, they felt like that even improved his running ability. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Bowd was pretty adamant on Friday night of like, this guy can run. You know, at times, I feel like Moali Cox looks a hair clunky. Mm-hmm. When he runs, yeah. and like again, I, I'm probably nitpicking. I'm probably being a hair overly critical, but and I get it. You're six seven two sixty. You know, I'm not. You know, you aren't supposed to look like Usain Bolt out there. Mm-hmm. But I think they feel like there's a little bit more fluidity to Woods and how he runs. Woods told a great story about how he made the switch to tight end. Basically, it's Bedlam week, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and they're like, all right, how do we mimic? Mark Andrews, Oklahoma State staff, they, <laughs> they put Jelani Woods at tight end. And um, Colts fans, they don't need any reminder of what Mark Andrews nope. can look like on a football field. And Woods is like, yeah, I just tore up our uh, our starting defense <laughs> during the scout team. And the staff was like, all right, you know, we need to keep you at tight end. Ultimately transfers to uh, to Virginia for his final season. I think the big thing with Woods is this. Can you be crisp? And just so pinpoint with the short route running. Like, kind of similar to Pierce, I guess. But a tight end, it's even more critical. Yeah. At 6'7", 260, you naturally have a catch radius. <laughs> like, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it is <laughs> eye-popping. And Matt Ryan's going to love that. But if you hesitate out of a break, if you're a little choppy, you know, on the shorter routes, guys are going to grab you, and that's going to kind of eat you up. Um I thought that's what made Jack Doyle so effective was just precision, knowing when to break, those sorts of things. Of where Doyle didn't naturally create tons of separation with his speed and quickness, but just his precision allowed him to do that. Um, so I think that's where Woods, you know, needs to take that stride. Some some drops, uh, but nothing nothing too crazy there. So we'll obviously keep an eye on that. But what I liked about this pick too, Eddie, is I wanted more of the Jack Doyle type of versatility yeah. and I think Woods can give you that his frame as a blocker 
that should help, and then his catching ability. The other thing to note is he participated in the East-West Shrine Bowl this past year. Uh, That would be Marcus Brady as, I think, the head coach of his team, offensive coordinator for the Colts, and Clayton Adams, the tight ends coach Uh here in Indy, was also on that staff. So you got to see him in person uh, and see the coachability. Because, again, similar to Pierce, I mean, Jelani Woods, you're not going to see three years of doing it at the Mm -hmm. college level. Part of that is a position switch, certainly. So there needs to be development there. But this is the mold the the moldest the mold most moldable piece of clay ever at tight end did i say that right i think so moldable moldalist i don't gosh that sounds bad now that i say it out loud um the most moldable piece of clay is what we're going with um with jelani woods there at pick 73 uh, i see he has like 34 and a half inch arms i was looking up real quick those are longer arms than uh, uh I was yeah, I was about to, Yeah, I was about to look at the same thing. Thirty two and seven eighths. Yeah. I mean uh, that's a big difference. Yeah, that, I mean that's a those are some long, long arms. And you know, Woods has got the basketball background, which shouldn't shock anybody there. So does Al Alec Ogletree or Alec Ogletree. I knew I'd do that at some point. Drew Ogletree, who they drafted um in round six. Um, anything else on Woods before we move on to Mr. Ryman? I think the one thing, I, w- I was watching some highlights of him after the Colts drafted him on Saturday, I think, either Saturday or Sunday. I can't remember which day. Um, and you can see that he's not afraid to run over across the middle of the field, take a hit, and just plow through a guy either. And, and think about what we've seen from O'Alley Cox. I mean, you got to be a pretty willing tackler. Yeah. And you can injure some dudes and you can make some stuff happen in the open field. You know, I, th- I feel like one of the Colts plays that they've gone to a little bit here in recent years is they just love getting Mo the ball on a, on a screen. Yeah. And just say, all right. Go tackle him. Go tackle him. And, you know, think about screens, man. How many times is like a shoestring tackle or just, you know, you get half of me on a block, but my other shoulder gets in there and is able to kind of chop you down. Yeah. Ankled knee wise. Well, it's 6'7, 260. Can you do that? You know, can you get the proper hit to knock a guy down um i think that is all in there so final quick thing here um i think he's an actual clone of mo alley cox for the purpose of okay we know the injury history with mo alley cox now let's draft a guy that has a similar build that you know can fill right in if mo goes down and has a similar skill set to mo and i think jolene woods fits that no, I, I think that's a good point as well. Um, we'll get into rookie playing time probably more on next week's podcast. Um, but certainly, you know that Frank Reich loves to rotate tight ends, so Jelani Woods I think will play from day one. All right, Bernard Ryman. Yes. Third round, 77th overall. The big fella um, from Austria moved over here. He, say, he seems like he seems like such a just a – Kind of reminds me of Bjorn Werner from a mindset boy. The fact that I've dropped Bjorn <laughs> Werner and Dante Moncrief uh, here. He reminds me of Bjorn. I remember when Bjorn was drafted. There's just such like a happy-go-lucky sense. I, I, unfair of me to stereotype all European NFL players in the same way, but like I think there's such an appreciation for like this dude did not play football until he was 14 years old, and now he's in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, how would you not be happy? Um with that so he came over here at the age of 17 uh, has a soccer background he was a wide receiver for his club team so again you talk about kind of early footwork that's where it comes from he was a tight end initially at central michigan and only has 18 starts at uh 
at central, at left tackle. Uh, he kind of looks like one of the characters from Street Fighter. Street Street Fighter <laughs> too old for you? Or are you? I'm familiar with it, but okay. I've never seen it. Yeah, in full. Um, he he kind of reminds me of one of those characters there. Um, his host father at Central Michigan, or excuse me, his host father in Michigan played offensive tackle. Ironically enough, at Central Michigan, so there was some football background there when he came over to the States. You know, something that, I don't know if he'd call it a blessing, but when he made the switch from tight end to tackle, Eddie, he had only had two practices at offensive tackle before COVID. Oh. And he put on 60 pounds. Think about how much, I, I can speak from experience, your boy <laughs> put on some weight during COVID. I Certainly. And uh, old Bernard here put on 60 pounds. I'd say a little bit better weight than <laughs> yeah. than, than Kevin did and a little bit more of a you know, proper goals to obtain then uh, my goals were just let's survive sanity here. Um, but it was just wild to hear him say that, you know, his parents flew in for the draft. That's the first time they had seen him since 20, 2019. Oh, wow. So they haven't they hadn't even seen him since he had put on all that right. weight then. So they saw him 60 pounds ago um, and everything. So um, the 18 starts at left tackle. I believe only allowed one sack, which certainly stands out. Y- again, you can look at that kind of in a, in a couple of ways. Certainly, he's still very raw. And there's room to grow, and like, there's plenty of development, and then also 18 starts. Is that like enough, you know, to get the true evaluation? Because yeah. I'm thinking to myself, why did he fall to round three? Because we mm-hmm. saw some mocks that had him late one, early two. I think it was the short arms. I, it could be. You feel like, yeah, this sounds bad, but you know, you see teams that are like, oh, dinosaur, t- you know, T Rex arms. Like Braden Smith has proven to be a, the exception to the rule in that at right tackle. Can now your left tackle be that in Bernard Ryman? Uh, Ballard is adamant he has left tackle talent. Um, I guess him and Matt Pryor compete for the left tackle job. You know, it, if Ryman wins that, could Pryor go to right guard where he has experience and Danny Pinter's your sixth offensive lineman? Is Danny Pinter your definitely your right guard and it's either Ryman or Pryor as a sixth offensive lineman? Like, all these things are kind of popping into my head about – uh, what you do with him. You know, some have asked, could he play guard? I don't know if he's got the strength, you know, right away to play guard. That that's the other thing. You know, he put on sixty pounds. You know, do you want to adjust any of that any of his weight? You know, do, is there anything now that you want to do with that? Um you could probably ask Joe Wrights, who did something similar, gained sixty, seventy pounds and you know, you're up at two, three AM at night drinking protein shakes. Like now that you've got the weight, do you want to kind of readjust that weight Mm -hmm. you know in terms of lower body upper body things like that um but yeah Ryman seems like just a just a good dude um you know I think with him so young in his football career you've got a very willing learner you've got a guy that won't get too beat up if he makes a mistake you know things like that which are all I think attributes that you want in a player, and you guys know, I've talked about it for years. I think it's been such a mistake over the years that the Colts have not drafted a tackle. So part of me was like, about damn time. And then part of me thought, too, wow, I mean, this is a guy that some people thought would go a lot earlier. Now, the rest of the NFL decided not to pick him for an entire round. I mean, I thought I thought at any point around two, he could go. Mm-hmm. You didn't see him, you didn't see him. I mean, hell, what did he go? The middle of round three? So there is some concern there that the NFL decided to kind of sit back and let him drop and drop. Is that all the arm length? 
we'll see. Um, but again, Bernard Ryman should come in here and and compete. And if nothing else, he's probably your sixth offensive lineman here as a as a rookie. I like to point out a couple of things. So yes, he had only allowed one sack and sixteen total pressures. Um, and 690 collegiate pass-blocking attempts at left tackle. That's according to Pro Football Focus. Um, and then when you look at Braden Smith, I was comparing the two because, you know, the like you said, thing about Braden Smith was his short arms. Uh, Braden Smith's arms were 32 and a quarter, and Bernard Ryman's are 32 and 7-8. So he's got a little bit of longer arms. Okay. Um, and then Braden Smith is 6-6 and a quarter, and then Ryman 6-6 and 1-8. They're relatively similar build height weight um combine results everything i would say the one difference to me and i, I i'm speaking a little bit out of turn here but brain smith just he's got polar bear strength i mean he is yeah. just a bulldozer um and i don't know if weight i don't know if you know bench press can I- indicate that but i would think that would be the one question i would have with because remember brain smith was drafted to be a guard Mm-hmm. Ryman wasn't really drafted to be a go- you know th- th- that's not the thinking there, um, so I just think a little bit different with their athleticism. I'd probably say this: Ryman is more of the, you know, dancing bear on your feet type of athlete, whereas, you know, Braden Smith is probably more of just a, just a polar bear, just just a rundozer <laughs> sort of. So if you want to go by combine results, Ryman did thirty reps at two twenty five. And Braden Smith did 35 at 225. Yeah. So um, I guess a little bit more strength there. Yeah. You know, based off that. Um, so, yeah. Um, these three needs, man. I mean, again, scenario D that we had last week. You trade back, you address all three of them. Um, I think I talked about it on last week's podcast. There were goals for me coming into the draft. Quarterback is always a goal, it, it has to be a goal until you find the answer. Right. The other three on that list, all right. I, I put that to us to the side, and I said, "All right, four inter- immediate goals of the four immediate goals, three of them right here. Take a dart with a big play wide out, find a versatile tight end, and can you find the future at left tackle? We'll see if you're able to check all of them, but you've attempted to address the goals. Like, you know, you know, Kevin exiting quarantine, he would like to work out more. <laughs> I I've at least worked out once. You know, <laughs> we'll see if it continues, yeah. but like." I just think it's really, really important to spend quality draft capital on, in particular, wide receiver and left tackle. I mean, we know how big those needs are. Yeah. And the Colts have not done that, uh, especially at tackle, I should say. Um, So, yeah, anything else on Ryman, or should we move on to, in my opinion, the most interesting move of the draft? Let's move on to Nick Cross. How about this? I mean, this is the one where I'm sitting there. You and I are talking a little bit and i'm thinking myself the colts are trading back up yeah i'm like what in the uh, this chris power doesn't do that and like this isn't a trade-up of like five spots ten spots Uh uh-huh this is a give up a third round pick next year um let's wait on the value i think we had a twitter question about that yes 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 let's hold off on that let's just talk about cross It's like the Colts are trading up, and I'm thinking to myself before the name even pops up, this will be Chris Ballard's favorite draft pick. Yeah. I mean, it is a gargantuan move for Ballard to trade up, give a future third-round pick. Especially in the third round. You know, he loves. 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 And the Colts thinking with Nick Cross is this. He's 20 years old. The Colts drafted a lot of older dudes, by the way. 
And Ryman will be 25. That's probably another reason why Ryman dropped. I probably should have mentioned that. Um, some of the day three picks, if I'm not mistaken, are like 24, 25, which with the extra COVID year, you're going to have older guys in this class. Um, Nick Cross is not old. He is not even 21 years old, which, again, the NFL, you got to be in college for three years. So mm-hmm. that is young. Uh, honestly, you know who was a young prospect and never worked out, but Dante Moncrief, second Moncrief mentioned. You better stop. You're going to get some hate. Of, of the draft here. Um, I'm just trying to get the SEC listeners to get back on the <laughs> podcast, man. Not enough SEC picks out of the Colts for my liking here because you always get a, a flocking of numbers. And thank thank you to everybody out there that clicked on the website throughout the weekend. Our, our clicks are really strong, so I appreciate that. Um, so they thought with Nick Cross, if he would have stayed another year at Maryland, he would have been a second-round pick. So that's why they felt like he was worth trading to the back of the third round to get. Um, tall, big, and can run. 6'1", 212, 213, whatever his height or weight is. And I believe the fastest 40 of any com- of any safety at the combine. 4'3", four, 4, I want to say. He's a DeMatha product, which, again, for someone that is uh, unhealthily obsessed with Notre Dame basketball, uh, a lot of DeMatha products in the day. Mike Bray hails from DeMatha. Uh, known much more, I think, as a basketball school. Uh, he was a really highly recruited kid, though, that was a Florida State commit, I believe, at one point, um, and then ended up at Maryland. I'm sorry to him for ending up at Maryland. Well, yeah, well, you might say sorry for committing to Florida State with well, how they've yeah, been yeah. In, in, in past years. Um, I'll be curious to see what happens to him here in 2022. You know, does he get on the field early? I mean, on paper, not a lot of open playing time there. You know, a little bit of Gus Bradley influence. And, Eddie, if guys like Kari Willis and Julian Blackman saw the pick of Bernard Ryman and thought, all right, Colts aren't drafting a safety till day three, all good here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. That's – and, you know, Willis is probably the one that comes to mind first because – We've got a Twitter question about that, so let's okay. not try to get into okay. that too let's, deep. L- l- let's hold off on that, but – you know, I thought there could be like a linebacker type pick for Bobby Okereke. Yeah, it looks like it's more of a safety. So we will hold off on that. But just quickly on Cross for 2022, I am interested to see is this a kind of a red shirt for him? Not that mm-hmm. like he's hurt or he didn't play at Maryland. I'm pretty sure he's a three year starter at Maryland. But again, when Julian Blackman's healthy, you've got three safeties: Blackman, Kari Willis, and Rodney McLeod. Three safeties is enough to get get by. Certainly, Cross will help you out. Of course, you always have to have the special, special team. Yeah, yeah. the special teams factor there. Right, and you would think, given his size and his speed, he would definitely be able to help you out there. So, anything else on uh, on Cross? I don't think so. I mean, you pretty much got everything um, there. Pretty intrigued by him, too, as well. Uh, maybe he's a guy, you know, you bring in to learn behind the veteran and Rodney McLeod. Uh, for a year, and then you know, let him let him loose. You too, if you if you have to. Um, but it seems like a pretty exciting pick for Chris Ballard. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, and the actions speak louder than words. So no quote from Chris Ballard will do it justice on Nick Cross, and he speaks very highly of him. But it's the actions. When you give up a third round pick, when you don't have the quarterback answer. Hmm. It's interesting to me. Very much so. All right, Eric Johnson, round five. Okay, moving to Saturday. Uh, you know his coach at Missouri State? 
I do. Do you? Former NFL head coach. I do not. The one and only Bobby Petrino. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Bobby P. <laughs> Boy, some stories about Bobby. <laughs> um Dane Brugler, you guys heard him on this podcast a few weeks ago, had him graded as the highest non-combine guy of anybody in the draft. Um, now, a lot of prospects get invited to the combine, but still, a really strong pro day. You know, you you look at him and like, boy, he really carries his weight very well, which I've always thought about thought that about Grover Stewart. I'm like, Grover Stewart's one of the best-looking defensive tackles <laughs> in the NFL. Um, and I love when Grover throws the chicken in the sink and starts whipping <laughs> up a meal. I, last night, grilled some chicken. And I thought, you know, should I just throw it in the sink? like Grill some chicken. Big old Grove. Uh, my wife, that was probably your favorite scene, honestly, of Hard Knocks. The biggest thing that stands out to me about Eric Johnson, five-year starter in college with the COVID year, never missed a game. You know, you play interior defensive line, you don't miss one game. I mean, that's that's some durability. And Grover, I feel like, is like that. Grover just doesn't miss time. He's right. always practicing. He's always always playing. You know, Johnson's numbers aren't going to wow you. Um, he was a late call to the Senior Bowl, played in one of the other, maybe the East-West Shrine game, and then got called up to the Senior Bowl. So felt like they you know held his own against better competition. Um, and we've touched on this a little bit, and we'll do it again with Curtis Brooks here in just a second. Eddie, I... I've tried to stress the change from Matt Eberflus to Gus Bradley. I asked Frank Reich a couple weeks ago. I was like, what's the percentage of change? Frank Reich said a 30% change. 30% is a big number. It is. That is a big number. So what we're getting at with that is change in philosophy, change in Voc- scheme. Vocabulary. Change in vocab, certainly. Change in the type of players you want, i.e. Nick Cross. Again, Kari Willis and Julian Blackman, they're not Gus Bradley picks. Right. So with Johnson and Curtis Brooks especially, the defensive line approach now is much different. It is no longer read and react. It's no longer absorb blockers and let the guys behind us, you know, run free. Mm-hmm. Now it's let's get right up the field, create chaos in the backfield as best as possible, and then, you know, obviously you want your linebackers to go ahead and clean that up. Basically what they're looking for is just a quick first step. Get upfield, don't need to be wide-bodied, um, things like that. Um, he mentioned his, you know, transitioning from, like, rundowns to pass downs, something he needs to improve on. He stru- struck me as a very coachable guy. Seemed, seemed like a really good dude. Um, Your so guy, yeah. Dane Brugler, um, summed up Johnson as saying, quote, he has flashes of phone booth explosiveness, functional hand use and play range he should appeal to multiple schemes and is ideally suited as a five technique or quick penetrating three technique there you go there you go um so yeah i look at this as kind of antoine woods and especially taylor stallworth are gone need some backup d tackle reps and defensive line depth was a need entering the draft so here you go so uh nick cross was your favorite uh i think Andrew Ogletree, the next pick, sixth round, is a guy that really— Is this your favorite? This might be one of my favorites. Um, you know, I went to UND D2 school. He went to Finley, a D2 school, yep. was wide receiver. Is that your guys' conference? Uh, no. No, I, I can't remember what Finley is, but I know I uh, UND could have played them uh, in both football and basketball in the postseason, but they, their paths never crossed. Um, but I, I think this is a sneaky, sneaky good pick. 
Um, you know, six five two sixty. Uh, he'll. I think last year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was like his first year at tight end after he played at D two at wide receivers. Bets on himself. You know, bulks up, transfers to D one and Youngstown State over in Ohio. Um, and I think there's some. You see a four seven forty for a tight end. You're like, oh, that that dude can move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can certainly see the wide receiver traits in him. And boy, uh, if you think about him. Mo Ali Cox and and Jelani Woods and you still have Kylan Granson. You've got a pretty, you know, a pretty up young group with those three and then Mo Ali Cox. Yeah, all of those guys, you know, can they be go- game different difference makers on Sundays. They go over to Gamebridge Fieldhouse and run run fives with the with the Pacers. Honestly, um, yeah, you, you you laid it out well right there, Eddie. Turns twenty four in July, so again, a little bit on the older end. Um, Ballard really, really gushed about him. Um, again, a piece of clay. I mean, so many things similar, honestly, to Jelani Woods in size and speed. My only issue is just like, this dude, he's going to have a fight to make the football team. You know? Um, and I get it. It's round six of day three. whoop de doo You know, at this point, you're just drafting dudes that you feel like you've identified – you think you're talented, and you think a lot less about positions. Uh, I'd probably side a little bit more with positions. Um, Ogletree is a guy that Moelle Cox is making the team. Kylan Granson, I know some people are like, Kylan Granson, this is a wake-up call to him. I'm like, Kylan Granson is such a different body type than Ogletree and Jelani Woods. We'll get more into this on next week's podcast, but like, Kylan Granson, you want to detach as a little you know, 6'2", 230-pound you know, sort of kind of split Trey out tight Burton end. Esque. Yeah, Trey Burton, exactly. So I, I don't know how much it, it really impacts you there. Um, I just say fight to make the roster in that you've got a guy that is going to be your fourth tight end, which I think a lot of people look at that as kind of a luxury item on teams. You know, if you keep a fourth tight end, that means you don't keep a fourth running back. If you keep a fourth tight end, maybe you don't keep a six wide out. You know, things like that mm-hmm. some of the roster number crunching. So maybe I'm looking way too down the road. Um, but this is a pick that I, you know, I would like to have seen a corner a little bit earlier than where they took one. I don't even know if the guy they took a corner is actually a, a corner. Uh, but just something along those lines. Maybe another wide out. You know, I frankly think another wideout would have a better chance to to make the team as well. Um, and then you heard him say after his after he got selected by the Colts in his interview that the Colts had been watching him and monitoring him for three years. Yeah, that so, was. So this is a guy that they have been hounding and watching for years, and they must obviously see something in him that most, if not all, other teams don't see. Yeah, that was interesting um, when he mentioned that. Basically said Chad Henry, the Midwest area scout, was like, yeah. hey, when you transfer from Finley to Youngstown State, you know, you need to you need to become a, a tight end. If I'm not mistaken, the last time he caught a touchdown was 2018. It's kind of wild to see that for a tight end. Didn't catch any touchdowns at, at Youngstown State. Yeah. Um, so look, there's a lot of development here needed. He says he's more comfortable as a wideout right or as a as a receiver than as a blocker. Um, and you just hope a guy like Ogletree will get the opportunity. You know, we'll get more into the undrafted free agents next week. But like, I, I saw the the Colts sign Jack Cohn out of Notre Dame as their fourth QB, 
And like, I'm like, oh, wow, Cone is a really nice fourth QB. I've kind of come around on how I think the back end of the quarterback depth chart should be in the preseason. I used to think your fourth QB should just be some like crazy, tradey project that you just try to develop. But then I'm thinking to myself, as much as that makes sense, when you're when your fourth string quarterback can't throw the football, how the hell do you evaluate anybody on your third <laughs> string or fourth string? You know, yeah. like Jack Cohn is a very accurate dude, very smart dude. He's going to at least give you the chance to evaluate a Drew Ogletree. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's a nice benefit that you have. And I know you mentioned Ogletree didn't have a single touchdown reception, so I just went checked out on Youngstown State. They only had three receivers that registered a touchdown reception. One of them had eight of the 11. So obviously they didn't score yeah. much offensively and if they did they didn't look to him. They looked at Bryce Oliver more than anybody else. Yeah, not a high high powered attack there um at Youngstown State. So um all right, we got two more to go. Uh who's up next? Is it Curtis Brooks? Yes it is. Probably my favorite day 3 pick. You know, you got seven and a half sacks as a defensive tackle. That stands out. You do that on one of the best defenses in college football, arguably the best. That really stands out to me. Uh, love the swagger I felt from him just in a 10, 15-minute Zoom. Um, and this goes back to the comments we made about Eric Johnson, Eddie. He, why is a 287-pound defensive tackle sitting there in the sixth round? Well, because it's 287 pounds, and a lot of teams don't run the scheme that the Colts do. The Colts want to get upfield and it's not about holding the point of attack. Whereas at 287, he's going to struggle in that area. It's about stepping up, getting vertical, those things, and I think that's where he excels. Uh, he talked about how he kind of worked on his body a whole lot coming into his senior year. I think around that program at Cincinnati, they probably realized, all right, you know, we, we flirted with something here facing Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Now it's can you get to that next level? Um, and and they did that, obviously. Um, older prospect, that's probably why he fell as well. But seven and a half sacks. I mean, Taylor Stallworth had several nice pressures, several important hurries last year as a rotational defensive tackle. Um, if healthy, you know, guys like Brooks and Johnson, they're going to probably struggle to find minutes because you can use a Dio Dangbo, you can use a Taekwon Lewis in there. Uh, but we know how Chris Bauer operates. Wants a whole lot of eight, nine defensive linemen. And while Curtis Brooks wasn't a fit for a lot of NFL teams, he was a fit for the Colts. So I like this pick. I'm excited to see him as an interior rusher. I'm going to get super analytical here for you. This is all coming from PFF. Pass pass rush win rate, 19.3%. Eye-popping, right? Run defense stop rate, 13.1%. And this is Brooks. Yes. Uh, Pass rush grade, 90.4%. True pass set grade, 92.3. True pass set win rate, 37%. And then run defense grade, 69.9. Everything that I gave you leading up to that last win and run defense grade, best in the class. Yeah. How does a guy like that fall that far, even yeah. even with the size you factor? Know, it's one of those things, Eddie, I think he's kind of the David Bell, the defensive tackle. You know, and I know that's not apples to apples, but I said this throughout the draft process. I don't think David Bell is very high on the Colts board. I mean, look at how the Colts drafted. Yeah. Look where David Bell measures out athletically. Now, 
you get to pick 200 and you're more willing to make adjustments. And I think there's a direct scheme fit here that was not a direct scheme fit to a whole lot of other teams as well. So I think those are some of the reasons. Um, we're hoping to have Luke Fickle on our morning show tomorrow. Um, so hopefully to get some more on uh, on Curtis Brooks from the Cincinnati's head coach there. But, yeah, this is a guy that, again, I think brings a little bit of swagger and interior defensive linemen. I don't know. They're always just – a lot of them are just funny dudes to me. Zach, Zach Kirk, <laughs> all that stuff. I feel like Curtis Brooks got a little, little bit of that to him as well. Uh, the final pick of the 2022 NFL draft for the Colts, seventh round, 239th overall, Yale cornerback Yale. Rodney Thomas II. The first Bulldog from Yale to be drafted since 2018. Uh, kind of a wild defensive background. Played some linebacker, played some safety. The Colts think he's a cornerback. Like You don't usually see linebacker and cornerback mm-hmm. in a background of a player. Uh, Marvell Tell type of pick is kind of how I view it. Uh, he's from Yale, so he's a smart dude, and if he can play multiple positions, that helps you on game day. And now that's, of course, if he makes a team. If you're Rodney Thomas, you got to be doing backflips, man. Like, the Colts did not draft a corner, which I thought was a position that should have been drafted earlier. That was my only kind of one-position gripe about this draft. Uh, But now you walk into a – you know, for a lot of guys, it's like they'd rather go undrafted than be drafted. That's how a lot of people think. Well, he walks into a situation that's pretty darn good for him in terms of playing time and – and, and the possibility to make the team. Um, sure, Kenny Moore, Stephon Gilmore, yes. But, you know, Brandon Faison on a one-year deal. Isaiah Rogers, you know, you're you're thinking and expecting, and I totally get it, that he will make a jump, but that's not a slam dunk either. Um, and, again, I thought about Gus Bradley. Do you want to play press a little bit more? That's where I think a guy like Rodney Thomas has some of that background as well. Um, so, Yeah. I know we went long there with all those picks, but you want to get into Twitter questions now? Yeah, let me just throw in a couple quick things if you don't mind, Eddie. Um, feel free to jump in. Love what the New York Jets did with their draft. Yeah. The Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall. Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson. And then one of my guys that I like, Jeremy Rucker, the tight end mm-hmm. at Ohio State as well. You know, we've talked so much about the AFC this year. You know, two teams we haven't talked about but you see quarterbacks make a jump like this a lot. What happens if Trevor Lawrence makes a big jump? What happens if Zach Wilson makes a big jump? I mean, that's one and two overall from last year. All of a sudden, you got to talk about that team, you know, in the mix. Now, again, they got to make big jumps. We saw with Joe Burrow, though. Yeah. You know, do, do we see it from anybody else this year? Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is this. I think the biggest win of the draft for the Colts came on Thursday night. Uh, I was about to hit on that, too. The biggest win for the Colts came with A.J. Brown being traded out of the division. I tweeted it Thursday, and for those that believe in prayer, add the AFC South to your prayer list nightly. (laughs) God bless this division. God bless it, folks. Um, I kind of have called the Colts like the Oklahoma State of the Big 12. The Colts don't play in the SEC. They don't play in the Big Ten. Hell, the ACC added Notre Dame for a year, and they made the playoff. So, you know, the the ACC is even at a higher level. Like, the Big 12 is just like Oklahoma's Tennessee. You know know they're going to make the playoff, but they're going to lose. And then Notre Dame, or uh, excuse me, Oklahoma State is the bridesmaid, and the Colts oftentimes have kind of been the bridesmaid 
in this division. Um, I think A.J. Brown's a massive loss. Tennessee 1-3 and three in the four games. They didn't have him last year. The only win was Jacksonville. I just don't look at Ryan Tannehill. I think Ryan Tannehill often gets a bad rap, but at the same time, Eddie, I don't view him as a guy that just all of a sudden makes others play better around him. You know, to, I agree. To that level. I think Brown is such such a big loss. And I'm not sure the last time I felt... I guess this is a combination. I don't know the last time I felt this confident about the Colts plus this least confident in the AFC South. Does that make sense? Yes. There's confidence with the Colts, but there's probably more confidence in those other three teams. Jacksonville and Houston got a long ways to go, and Tennessee has gotten worse. So... Uh, we'll see if Traylon Burks can make an immediate impact and mm-hmm. Robert Woods coming off the ACL and all of that. But, um, gosh, man, that that is the win of the draft for the Indianapolis Colts. I thought even though they traded away Hollywood Brown, I thought Baltimore had a really solid draft, too. They, oh, I love me some Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, they got Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum, and then they grabbed David Ojabo. Um, and then they, I think they even got a couple tight ends. I think they drafted Isaiah Likely and then Jake Ferguson. I could be wrong on Ferguson, but like they added some guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. they didn't, they didn't pick up like guys that had, uh, that were, that were like raw or whatever. They picked up guys that had some actual success in college that kind of just fell beyond on, on the draft board because of the way the draft played out. I thought uh, I thought Baltimore had a solid draft, and, and I know Lamar Jackson isn't going to be happy with losing Hollywood Brown, but they got tougher. Yeah, and again, Baltimore, just similar to Pittsburgh, man, they just show up at the end of the year. You know, they just oh wow, there there they are. Uh, yeah, I, I like the Jets. I mean, I'm selfish here, but I like Sky Moore to to Kansas City. And I oh like no, I'm I'm not I'm I'm scared of that one. <laughs> what, what Kansas City did. Dane Brugler, he didn't have the Colts ranked too high, I think, on his uh, – I'm looking up right now. Where do you have him? 20-ish? 21st? Yeah, 20th on uh, his his drafts. Um, I guess all in all, this is kind of my big takeaway before we move on to Twitter questions. I know today's going to be a little bit of a longer pod, but that's necessary with breaking down each of these draft picks. Um, all in on traits. All in on character. And now it's pressure on your coaching staff. Ballard said, we found the unteachable stuff. We think there's willingness to learn and grow. Now your coaching staff has got to deliver on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at these first three picks, their college resumes are not very, very decorated in terms of multiple all-conference years, multiple all-American years, a thousand-yard seat, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Alec Pierce, Jelani Woods have really only done it for a year. Bernard Ryman, two-year tackle. Um, Now, position switches and a transfer for Woods, uh, there's reasons behind that. Um, But this is something that Ballard is looking at the draft process, and he says, yes, scouting is one, but now your coaches have got to do it as well. Um, so, yeah. Let's uh, l- let's get into Twitter questions. All righty. First Twitter question comes from Wake Spike. 
Hey, guys, hope the post-draft media hangover has worn off. Love the content you put up during it. While watching the draft, they commented on how Baltimore wasn't picking the flashiest players, but just reliable guys. Do you think that the Colts sometimes go a bit overboard with measurables and should take some more average but reliable picks? Yeah, Wakes Mike, I totally get it. Um, I, I think finding the balance is key. You know, again, I think David Bell can be an outlier. Do you want to always try and believe that you're finding the David Bell outlier? Probably not. You know, the NFL, and Ballard is all in on this, they really have turned into a science. These body types hit at a higher rate. You know, these measurable packages have a higher floor, whatever you want to call it. This height, this weight, this 40 time, this three cone, that guy hits 78.9% of the time. Yep. Whereas this measurable and that weight, yeah, that hits 24.6% of the time. Okay, you know, the, you still can find good players mm-hmm. and bad apples in in each of those of those um sort of scenarios. So, um, look, I have no doubt the Colts draft class would win a decathlon right now. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. You know, I mean, and there is football stuff that you like. I mean, Pierce did it against some big time competition. Um, you know, Jelani Woods had a really nice touchdown number in his first year as being a tight end yeah. at a major conference. Again, Ryman, you you read off what he did from a uh, pressure and sack standpoint. Um, and they, if I'm not mistaken, I think they face LSU and Missouri. So, I mean, you know, it's not like they just played a bunch of Mac schools the, yeah. the, the entire time. Um, you know, if I, I probably a little bit more on the college production that I would side with. Again, Wake Spike, I, I do think they cross off some guys off the board a little bit more than, than I would. Um, but I understand the the thought process and banking on athletes and wanting to go there. Um, you can find examples of good and bad. Yeah. You know, Darius Leonard, high-end athlete, worked out. TJ Green, royally didn't. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you can find those comps. I was just scrolling the other day, like, through. Gosh, TJ Green in there now, too? Well, it, you got Dante. I just, I, yeah, I I apologize. Um, I was scrolling through, you know, RAS that that you know big acronym of Relative Athletic Score, or whatever it's called, that has really kind of taken hold of the NFL draft process here over the past few years. I just got stuck on safeties for a reason. I think I was looking up Nick Nick Cross, mm-hmm. and I started scrolling through the safeties that had the top RAS score. Over the last, I think it goes back to 2000, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't checked it out, so I'll have to check it out. And I just got through the first 15 or 20 safeties, and Eddie, I don't know if I found more than two guys that were of note. So again, you know, these high-end athletes, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to hit. There's got to be development. There's got to be scheme fit. This is part of the process, but there are other parts that I think we forget about with this draft. You know, so many times, and hell, I've had conversations with these guys about it, whereas... Chuck Pagano would say that Ryan Grigson didn't draft the right guys, and Ryan Grigson would say Chuck Pagano didn't develop his guys. We forget that the, there is this marriage that has to coexist between yep. your scouting department and your coaching staff. Of You see guys that never have a chance to work out because they're just not a good player, or maybe they have a chance but you don't know because their coaching staff didn't develop, or you see them go elsewhere and then they really flash because their coaching staff did develop them. Um, so, again, it is a complicated, complicated process. That's kind of like the drum I've been beating, especially like the last year. That's like, okay, 
you've been drafting all these edge rushers, not to get on too far of a tangent here, um, but none of them have developed or panned out. And I was like, okay. People are like, all right, it's let's blame Chris Ballard. And I was like, well, hold on here. Chris Ballard drafts them. There has to be some account accountability, like you said, on the coaching staff to develop these guys. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it, it is a two-way street. Um, now, you know, someone would say, well, the coaching staff is under Ballard as general manager. You know, he's the one that's hired this this coaching staff, which is totally fine. And obviously he played a huge role in the Matt Eberflus hiring um, back, whatever that was, 2018 and everything. So, again, this is probably the big picture item on this Colts draft. They've always gone athlete, but this is the most high-end athlete they have gone. Next question or questions come from Mike. First one, Do you got, uh, did you guys watch the phone call from Ballard to Alec Pierce? Uh, I yeah. did. Yeah, I did. Yep. Okay, maybe I'm reading into this way too much, but during Alec Pierce's draft call, it seemed that Ballard didn't feel super alive and excited like they were about other players like Pittman and Taylor. It makes me wonder if maybe the player they really want wanted uh, got taken in front of them. George Pickens was taken the pick right before they took Pierce. I wonder if Pickens was their guy. Then again, maybe this is just too much of a conspiracy theory on my end. Yeah, Mike, I don't think George Pickens was on their radar. Uh, I don't either. Um, you know, there was some off the field stuff. Hell, there was some on the field, off the field stuff. If that makes sense, you know, flagged for unsportsmanlike stuff. They got ejected from a game, suspended at one point as well. Um, so I think that contributed to. Pickens and and that aspect to it. Look, I'm not I'm not gonna go side by side with the videos of like their level of excitement versus the two. I think the generic excitement of Pittman and Taylor. First off, you're cooped up in your basement on Zoom. You know, you're just naturally gonna like, all right, let's go, yo, let's hoot and holler. I got my family in the background. You know, let's all. I think it was a combination of getting both of them. Yeah, that's why you saw that excitement. And secondly. I mean, this is, this will come out as like a slight to Alec Pierce, but he's not Michael Pittman or Jonathan Taylor. Right. I mean, look at what Jonathan Taylor did in college. Uh huh. Look what Michael Pittman did in college. I mean, some pretty darn impressive stuff. Like Alec Pierce is a really really nice prospect, but you also have got to develop him. I mean, you know, twenty spots later than a guy like like Pittman. You know, for, yeah. For for a reason. So, um, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, Mike, I. I Again, it's like, you know, comparing your favorite children or whatnot. I, I don't want to overreact too much to that, but just a couple thoughts there. Jason and Steven, hey, Kevin, uh, what are your thoughts on Alec Pierce? feel like he is a big-body dude, but feel like Sky Moore might have been the better choice. Maybe answer this on this week's pod. Would you prefer Pierce or Moore? Yeah, I was probably a little bit more um, just because I think it's easier to get him the ball in multiple ways. Like... You know, screens and jet sweeps, and um, I've always kind of made this reference to Paris Campbell, and certainly it hasn't worked out. But the goal with Campbell is this. You're giving him the ball in high-percentage situations, which by that means if you target him on these short and intermediate routes, there's a good chance he catches it. Mm -hmm. Less chance for a turnover, less chance for an incompletion, things like that. And then you hope that the big play can be created post-catch with him doing that now obviously that hasn't happened but that was again the thought process with sky Moore. it's you get an in rhythm thrower like matt ryan there is the ability there for yard after catch and things like that i like both guys um and i guess to go back to the earlier point 
the PFF stat about Alec Pierce, two-thirds of his yards on vertical throws. Again, he's got to round out that route tree. You made the point about the private workout. Clearly, the Colts feel like that can happen. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of some of my feelings on Sky Moore. I agree with you there. Brent asks, do you think the drafting of Cross will impact the chances of Willis being re-signed? This has the same feeling of Okereke and Walker Jr. scenario. I want to be excited about the pick, but not at the expense of a Colt I really like. Yeah, and again, Akari Willis and Julian Blackman are two guys that the staff really likes. Um, easily the biggest losers of the draft, Akari Willis and or Julian Blackman. Um, and I go back to something I said earlier. You know, Eddie Willis is in a contract year. Yep. He hasn't missed a ton of games, but I think he's been banged up. I think he's played through a lot, and he has missed some games. Now, I look at Cross and think he's probably more of a free safety to me. Now, who knows? Maybe Gus Bradley's system, things can be viewed differently. If I'm not mistaken, he likes to use three safeties, doesn't he, sometimes? At times, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, that'll be something to keep an eye on here is just does he do that here in his personnel grouping? Because again, I think when you go an extra defensive back, I kinda like Kenny Moore in the slot. Yeah. You know, that do you go dime, that means you take Okarake or Leonard off yeah. the field. Obviously not Leonard, but you would take Bobby off the field in that situation there. So does this mean Kari Wills leaves? You know, Julian Blackman's a tremendous football player, but you, you can't run away from two serious injuries in three years. Really serious. So, um, basically, the moral of the story is this. The drafting of Nick Cross, to me, indicates that Kari Willis and or Julian Blackman, both of them will not get a second contract here. One of them, but probably not both. Right. Um, think back to Malik Hooker, to Julian Blackman. Think back to Anthony Walker, to Bobby Okereke. You know, Hooker and Walker obviously did not get those second contracts here. Walker is more deserving, though, than Hooker by yeah. far. Now, granted, you had the fifth-year option with Hooker. That would have been kind of easy to pick up, and you didn't even do that. Right. Um, you, you can find other examples. They're not all apples to apples, but you know, Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Matt. Like, this is just part of turning over a roster. Um, but you don't trade up for Nick Cross if you don't believe that he is a really, really good player. Um, so, yeah. I agree. Uh, Josh asks... What should be our expectations regarding Strawn moving forward? Patwin firmly gets the nod over him on the depth chart all last year and now probable pencil and Pierce over him as well. Just curious what happened between training camp last year and now where he seems largely forgotten. Yeah, Josh, you know, in camp, I thought it was just a lot of red zone stuff. It wasn't perfect. He had some drops. Um, he definitely didn't look like a natural wide out in terms of like in between the, the 20s and, and things like that. I don't know if I'd say Patman is firmly ahead of him. I, I'd have to look up Desmond Patman's playing time. Obviously, he played late in the year, but I don't think he played that much, to be honest with you. Um, you know, in terms of the slot, you had Doolin, you know, Campbell, or I guess moving forward, Doolin, Campbell, uh, to Michael Harris. We'll we'll see about T. Y. Hilton. I still get very mixed feelings on T. Y. Hilton. I, I'd probably bring him back, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, yeah, I don't think Strawn is forgotten. I just think that. It, it was weird that they played him week one and two, and then they really dialed back. Maybe he had a bunch of mental errors in those first two games, and they're just like, "All right, you can't help us out on special teams. We can't, we can't afford to have you out there." Uh, maybe that was some of it. But like, you know, COVID took away his final year of yeah. of, of college. So, 
He'll get an opportunity. I mean, there is a level of just like, do you have too many big guys? You know, right, like you, right. know, you, you do want some different body types. Um, I'm looking up here. Patman played 64 total offensive snaps last season. That is extremely low. I mean, 64 divided by 17 is what three and change. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he played a very very small amount. Meal asks, I think that's Mehul. I don't I don't know how to Mehul. I believe Mehul. There yeah, we go. DM me. I wanted to make sure that I got that right here. Mehul. Mayhul. Mayhul. Yep. We got it right. Yep, yep, yep. Question for the pod in regards to Nick Crosspick. Do you think any of these three scenarios are realistic? Scenario one, with his Julian Blackman-like range and explosiveness, would Cross and a healthy Blackman be the new starting safety tandem with Kari Willis moving down into the nickel slash slot and allowing Kenny Moore to play outside up opposite of Gilmore, although I know how much we don't want to move Moore out of the slot? option or scenario two given his length and speed would they consider using cross as an outside corner opposite of gilmore and the final scenario could they possibly move willis to sam linebacker sorry for the lengthy question thank you for all the great work you guys do for the podcast wow that's a lot um okay let's say i I do think cross is more of a free safety rangy type um, you know, I'm all about mixing mac- matching packages, you know, versus various teams week in and week out. You know, things change so much in the NFL about personnel and who you play with. I like Kenny in the slot. I do not see Nick Cross as an outside corner. I don't. Yeah, I to me this move is just it's a lot more big picture long term here. We'll see. Maybe Gus Bradley views him as immediate role from day one, but this seems like a move of. Special team, potentially some sub packages as a rookie, but if everyone's healthy back there, this screams a lot more 2023 and beyond. Yeah, I agree. Now, which of those scenarios, if you had to choose one, yeah, would be the most realistic? Because we've kind of you kind of like beat around the bush of which scenario you would yeah, pick there. Probably one. Um, yeah, Cross is an outside corner. No, Kari Wills is a Sam linebacker. I guess you can move him into the box on some passing downs, but I'd probably say one with you know him and Blackman being the new starting safety tandem. Again, I'm not necessarily saying that's going to be this year. Right, me uh, either. You know, Nick Cross did was not taken until the what 100th pick, 90, 96 pick. Like it's not like he was a top 10 pick. So um, yeah, I would say that. Uh, two questions left. This one comes from Travis. No, plenty of storylines in coming days, but if Ballard gives you access like in years previous. Would love to hear more about the trade-up. So rare of him to give up a future pick. Would love background on when the math makes worthwhile and how it comes about. Yeah, Travis, obviously we gave – it's a great question. We gave a little bit of a brief synopsis of it earlier about they thought he was a second-round pick next year. They felt like that was worth a third-round pick. That's a good amount to give up in my eyes. And, again, I know not everyone agrees with me on this, but I'm just such a big believer of – you keep as much ammo in place as possible to make that quarterback move. You know, if you think the Colts are winning 10 or 11 games next year, that means they're drafting in the 20s. You're moving up a whole lot if C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and yeah. Phil Dracovic or whoever else you feel like will be drafted high next year. Now, you still have a first and a second your own. You have a third that could turn into a second with the Carson Wentz trade. So you still have three picks in the first three rounds maybe first two rounds yeah so you are gonna have nice capital but 
I would have liked that other extra one. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I'm being too short-sighted with that view and whatnot. Maybe Nick Cross is going to be an incredible player that you would happily do this trade, you know, time in, time out. I view it more of just quarterback means more. It just it's like the SEC just just means more down there. Um, that's how I view I view QB. Uh, for one thing that I kind of noticed over the re- the recent years is like, okay, you go to what was it two years ago? Yeah, Joe Burrow selected as the top quarterback. Right. Entering the year, he was not even considered in the top three. And then you go in. Very good point. So, like, it seems like there's a trend over the past couple of seasons in in college football is that there's not that top quarterback who's always seemed to getting the buzz, like C.J. Shroud uh, and Bryce Love. There's usually always that third or fourth guy that nobody's talking about that that has a great year, and then all of a sudden he is vaulting and shooting up the draft boards. Um, Yeah, so you probably are going to have another name thrown into that mix as well. Um, and who knows? I mean, last year, Spencer Rattler was probably thought to be a top five pick. And yeah. now l- look at him. So you could probably go both ways with that. Final question for the pod this week from Twitter uh, from Jordan. Do you think the Colts would have interest in bringing, bringing in Nick Foles as the backup quarterback? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I threw out there earlier today on our show, a better chance Nick Foles is on the roster week one or T.Y. Hilton. Oh man. Um <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it, it, it's it's a tough one. I I might say shit, I I might say Foles right now. You know, again, I'm in the minority of this. I want my backup to have room to grow. That's how I view it. Uh if you want your backup to win a game or two, Nick Foles is the guy. And some might argue and say, you know, how much room does Sam Ellinger have to grow how much room does james morgan we'll, we'll see about him former what fourth round pick fifth round pick i think is that the florida international player from a few years ago that everyone was like yeah he he's on the colts roster okay you know? so you know it, it is, is i don't know is he someone that has a strong camp strong preseason something about that um but the colts again if carson wentz was a son to Frank Reich, the son that he never had. Nick Foles was the other son. <laughs> Seriously, that he that I think like I think Reich wrote Reich wrote like the foreword in Nick Foles's book, maybe or I, I don't know something crazy like 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 that. I mean, they are very very close. So, um, I would understand the rationale for it. It would be a veteran short term break case emergency. We need a guy for a couple games. Granted, Matt Ryan's been incredibly durable throughout his career, so yeah, I don't know if that would play into it as well. Um, I would probably sit it out, but I understand the thinking behind it. I wouldn't touch it. Um, you also have to wonder about the money factor. How much would he want? Yeah, I mean, you would hope he wouldn't want that much. Right. But. Uh, the last thing from me, yeah. um, we, we talked about this last week on the pod about how, you know, Ben Banagoop type yeah. player could be we didn't we, we didn't could see be, any of that did yeah we? yeah it could be traded you know for an extra pick and i was shocked that there wasn't a ben banagoo or somebody else on the roster that was traded to get an, an additional pick two things i'm not sure if you get ben banagoo for cool ranch doritos right now um that's my first thought my second thought is gus bradley probably looks at film and thinks all right give me a chance give me a chance we're, we're, we're gonna do something a little bit differently on on defense if we can't get anything for him Let's put him through another training camp and a preseason and see if a scheme change changes something there. I do think depth at edge. Depth at edge, depth of the interior offensive line, certainly tackle, corner. 
wide out. I mean, they signed three running backs. One of those running backs is going to make the, make the team of the undrafted free agents. you got to think that. So uh, we'll unpack all of that next Ooh, week. On hold on, something. Uh, Justin Ross just signed with the Chiefs. I did see that. I just saw that. Um, yeah. Boy, if the medicals check out there. Oh, no. <laughs> just add one more to the old cupboard there for Mr. Mahomes and company. Uh, Eddie, thank you. Your no draft workout uh, Anytime. all weekend was outstanding. I know you had some long nights, so I appreciate you uh, filling in here on the podcast the last couple of weeks. He's Eddie Garrison. Plug your Twitter, Eddie. At Eddie Garrison underscore. Boom. At Eddie Garrison underscore on Twitter. I'm Kevin Bowen. Next week on the pod, some rookie playing time. We'll see if Luke Fickle will join, and uh, we'll look at the undrafted free agent class. Everybody have a great week. If you missed it, all the written content up on 107.5thefan.com. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.